0: A little over a year ago, January um, last year, we began a new series focusing on the Christ. And again, I kind of chuckled back then saying that it's what we ought to be doing every Sunday. And in a sense we do, it's just not as a full series focusing on who Christ is. And we began looking from the Old Testament in the shadow of Christ, the the precursors, the the prophecies, the, the types, the, the pictures of Christ that were to come. And then, from there, we transitioned into the life of Christ last summer, and we looked at his ministry and uh, his arrest his uh, his uh, burial, his resurrection, his ascension. From there, we mo- turned in of Christ because, as we know that Christ was ascended at that time, we were told that he would come back again, and we began looking then at the return of Christ and spent the advent time um, looking both at the, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of christ and Then these past two weeks, we looked at the, we saw First of all, with that return of Christ, that there is this future physical reign of Christ. It's called the millennium. That very clearly from Revelation chapter 20, God declares that literally that there's going to be this thousand-year period of reign. And so we looked at that. But then last week we began transitioning that and looking at the um, the present spiritual reign of Christ. And from that we talked about that we're going to be sliding into, Lord willing, um, over the next few months, the next phase of this focusing on Christ, and that is the reflection of Christ. And it's the reflection of Christ that we want. But as kind of a, a transitional review, if you remember last week when we were talking about the spiritual reign of Christ, we said that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, that God gives us a special gift. And the special gift is the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, it's it's beyond even the Holy Spirit. We say the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and he seals us. And that's true. But the reality is that Jesus declared in John chapter 14 that the Father, he and the Father also would come and take up residence. And so the Holy Spirit comes within, but it's really the presence of the entire Godhead that's within us. And we're, t- we're told by Paul in the book of Corinthians that we are the temple of not just the Holy Spirit, but we're also the temple of of God, that God comes and lives within us. Jesus said so in Luke 17 when he was asked by the Pharisees about the kingdom of God, is it going to come? And he says the kingdom of God does not come with observation. And then he continued on, he says the kingdom of God is where? It's Within you. Okay? And that God comes to take up his reign on his throne, if you would, inside of you, in your heart. Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, and so Christ comes to live within me, but but note what happens, and last week we talked about this a little bit, was we talked about the lordship of Christ, not lordship salvation, but Christ being the lord of your life, that if Jesus comes to live within your heart, he doesn't come just to hang out, but he comes to sit upon the what? The throne, the throne of your heart. And he comes not only to, to live, but he comes to reign. He doesn't come to reside, but just he comes to reign as well. And when that happens, you can see in Galatians 2.20, it says, but Christ lives in me. But the second part of that is, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And so that reflection that we have in our life should not be just of myself and my flesh, but my life should therefore be a reflection of Christ. And so, what people see changes. And you can see on the picture, hopefully, if you watch, it was kind of a neat little thing. Anyways, I can do it again and go backwards and do it again. Anyways, I did that five or six times last night as I watched it. Anyways, but my life begins to transform Jesus Christ. The reflection that people see is who? Is me. But through me, who should they see? Jesus. And so. When Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, it will be reflected in your life, and you then, therefore, will be the reflection of Christ. That's where I want to go with this. Now, the first few weeks, we're going to look at us individually. But then I want to look at us corporally, corporately as well, because we are the what? The body, the bride, the building of Christ. And we, as a group, should be reflecting Jesus Christ. When people look at me individually, they see Jesus. Now, they don't understand they're seeing Jesus. Do they understand? Because they don't rec- recognize it. Um, somebody was giving that testimony today. Oh, um, Don, you were talking about the tug with the, the you know, that the you know, lady comes and she looks for the kite, doesn't see the kite, so she thinks the kite doesn't exist, and says to the boy, I mean, even though the string is kind of hanging out there in the middle of the air, how does it do it otherwise? But she says, how do you know it exists? He says, because I can feel the, the tug. They may not see the But they ought to see the kid holding the string. Make sense? There ought to be something about your life that tells them there's something, what? Different about you than there is about everybody else. And that ought to be Jesus living, residing, and reigning in you and being reflected in your life Then we as also as a body. Well, today in this, I want to start off with how Christ is reflected in our our speech. Now, in Ephesians 4, okay, we're going to go there and... The whole passage actually is going to be totally expository from Ephesians 4 and 5. But you remember last week as well, bad choice of colors here, hopefully you can read it, but we read in Luke 6 that the bigger portion is not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his what? His mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Isn't it interesting that the very face that you you will know, you will know what is important to somebody, and what's going on into their heart is what comes out of their, their mouth. It'll just spew out. And so James says in in, in the third chapter of his his epistle, he says, you know, you can't have on a spring giving both bitter water and sweet water. He says it just doesn't happen that way. And so Jesus uses the illustration of the fruit on the tree. He says, listen, if I go to my my little orchard in my backyard and I go to this one tree and there's, there's orangish, reddish, fuzzy kind of fruit that I see, it's an apple tree, right? No, it's not. Is it a grape? No, it's not. What is it? Banana. It's a banana tree. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're not from here. Anyways, <laughs> it's a what? It's a peach tree. Now, I I mean, honestly, I didn't show you a picture of it, so you don't know. But just my description of this reddish-orange, I'd like to use the color t- peach, right? But I can't do that because it gives away. This reddish-orange fruit with fuzz on it, you know it had to be a peach. Make sense? But if I said that there was one that that had this dark purplish color with a reddish flesh inside what's that? Plum. a plum See, so we know that, okay, and so when I went to the tree, I didn't think, oh man, I don't know what kind of tree this is, I know it's a peach tree, I know it's a plum tree I know it's a grapevine. does that make sense? that's what Jesus is saying Jesus says this is pretty simple stuff you're not a judge in other words, I didn't have to go back into my backyard into that orchard and become a judge, did I? I'm just a discerner I'm just an observer and, and I didn't have to make a judgment about that peach tree. The tree told me it was. Does that make sense? The tree declared it. And so I understand, judge not lest ye be a judgment. With what judgment you judge others, it shall be measured under you, pressed down and full overflowing. And so I'm not supposed to worry about it. I'm to worry about the, the beam that's in my own eye before I'm worried about the speck that's in your eye. Except for the fact that sometimes people have beams kind of hanging out there out of their mouth, right? Chow, boom, chow, boom, chow, boom, And when you open up your mouth, you declare... What's inside of you? Does that make sense? It's not somebody who's judging you. You know, a lot of times we look and we we, we feel and we want to do the I'm the victim thing and, and you're just what? You're judging me. No? I'm just assessing what you've just what? You told me. I'm just assessing what you just kind of laid out there for me to hear. And Jesus said, if you would, those who are his who call him Lord, Lord, ought to do what? What he says. They ought to act like him. They ought to act like he's really reigning in their hearts. And so if somebody is not living like Jesus is reigning in their heart, there's a good chance that what? He isn't. I'm not a judge. I'm just a fruit inspector. Do you get it? That's what I am. I, I I go into the produce section and it says apples, four for a dollar, but there's this yellow, kind of, not semi-circular, but this yellow thing that has a thick skin on it, and has a, uh, you know, it kind of looks like a moon shape, you know, that's not an apple, I don't think, am I wrong, would you guys think it was an apple, a new kind of apple, just a yellow apple, maybe it's a golden delicious, just kind of warped, you know, but there's bunches of them, they're coming in, they're coming in bunches, and they have a little thing, no, that tells me that the, somebody in the produce section did what? They put the wrong fruit in the wrong bin. That it's a banana. Even a five year old knows it's a banana. Like, Dad, you know, you don't know what the banana is? And and so, yes, I know it's a banana. I so I didn't judge. Now I haven't made an assessment about the produce guy. I start to wonder. The guy himself can't read what he said he's gonna put in there. But, anyways, that's just my flesh doing that part of it. But I'm just a fruit inspector. I looked at it and I said, Oh, it's a banana. You're out there? Somebody lays out their fruit, and you say what? Oh, they're a believer. Have you ever talked to somebody? And they didn't say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was born in the Virgin Mary. I believe that he died and that he was raised on the third day. And I believe that he's living and reigning on the right hand of God. You just knew from the way they talked, you had a feeling that what? That they were a believer. Have you ever met somebody that you had a feeling that they weren't a believer? And then you were shocked when they declared that they were? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Well, in the book of Ephesians, chapter four, seventeen to 5, 6, Paul talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. He says that, you know, we shouldn't be walking like the rest of the Gentiles, of which we used to have a part of. He says, you used to be one of them, but now you're not anymore. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage again, because Steve just read it, okay? So, read it. But he says, you used to think that way. These people are alienated in their minds. They're alienated in the way they think, because they're alienated from who? From God. He says, but you have not so learned Christ like that, if so be that you are in Christ. You haven't learned them that way. What have you learned about Jesus? Well, then he goes on into this putting off the old man and putting on the new man, which is created in in righteousness and true holiness, right? And it's interesting that overwhelmingly the character traits that he refers to of this new man are all borne out in the way that they speak or what is evidenced in their speech and so I want to look at these um, from Ephesians 4:17. We'll bring in some others. And clearly, we could go to a lot of places. We could talk about Proverbs chapter 10. We can talk about James chapter 1. And we'll look at uh, James at the conclusion real quickly. But we can, there's a lot of places we can go at where the Bible talks about the speech. It's an amazing thing how much the Bible talks about how you talk. Um, but in, in Ephesians 4, first of all, we see first that our speech should, be re- should reflect truthfulness. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 25, after he's done talking about putting away the old man, putting on the new man, he says, therefore, based on all that, based upon the fact that you're not like the Gentiles and you should be living like Jesus, and you should be putting off that old man and putting on that new man, he says, therefore, based on all that, putting away lying, let each of you speak what? Truth. Now, the first thing we see in this reflection of truthfulness is that we're supposed to put away lying. Literally, it's supposed to be putting away falsehood. The word therefore, lying is the Greek word sudes. You know that Greek word. It's not all Greek to you because we bring it into the English. We talk about a pseudonym. You know, a pseudonym is what? It's somebody's fake name. Well, guess what? The word anem in the Greek is what? Name. Go figure. And so pseudonym literally means fake name, false name. And so when an author uses a pseudonym, he's not putting his real name on the book. He's using a fake name. Okay, so this doesn't take rocket science here, right? Paul says, putting away what? Falsehood. Putting away fakeness. Falsehood. Put it away. Let every man speak what? Truth. What's really neat is that we put away falsehood, and we put forth or put on eletheia. Eletheia, again, is made up of two Greek words. A meaning not and lethe, meaning hidden. Something that's not hidden, deceptive. You know, it's kind of like the I was read something or saw something about, I was talking about magicians, and, and how a lot of times magicians will be doing something up here, and you're all looking here. But while he's doing this, abracadabra, over here in the other hand, he's what? He's really working the magic, you know? Because all of a sudden over here, he's doing something that's going to come into play. It's a sleight of hand, okay? Or you have something in the the pocket. You ever wonder how can they pull the quarters out of the ear and how they put an egg out of the mouth and all that kind of stuff? It's because it was what? Hidden. It was hidden. And so many times we have a hidden what? A gender, meaning, message. I like the term genuine. There is a a Greek word called... um, Dacamas, which means to be genuine, and the word adakamas means means to be not genuine. We see it many times in the in the Greek or in the, in the English as being tested. Dokimos means to be tested and found to be genuine. Adakamas then means to be tested and found not to be genuine. And Paul says, you know, check me out and see if I am what genuine, okay? This term, aletheia, is very similar in that it is the, the fullness of what truth is. Truth means that there's no what? There's no lie. There's no hidden part of it. It's fully trustworthy in everything that's spoken, in everything that you can do. And so I'm supposed to, in my speech, put off, put away, falsehood. Any kind of falsehood. Isn't it amazing? how children learn, and I know, its its they got it from Adam and Eve, because they certainly didn't get it from me, right? That the ability to be able to give partial truth. Did you do that? Well, yes, but, you know, or no, I didn't do that. You know, like the, the milk is spilled on the ground. I didn't spill the milk on the ground. Well, literally, what happened? I, I dropped it. I mean, I didn't spill, I didn't you know pour it on the ground, you know. So I didn't do that. I mean, uh, it's amazing how our, our children, when they're born, they're born to be lawyers. You know, they, they're, they're able to parse words and parse meanings immediately. And, and we laugh, but honestly, adults, in the work world, when we feel pressured, when we feel like like there's a potential for me to get in trouble on something, what do we like to do? shade the truth color the truth we like to just give what we need to give and nothing more unless somebody what asks me details and then well maybe you know what happened in here I won't pick up my kids I'll pick up me and my brother Jim hit me what did you hit him for get in my room dad dad Bob slapped me wait a second You're complaining because he hit you, and you slapped him? Well, it's because he kicked me. How many times do you get this, right? And all of a sudden, and what I ask the kids is just tell me what? The whole truth. I'm tired. I don't want to play the lawyer, the judge, the whatever you want to call it, trying to extract truth. I want whatever happens here. If you get a spanking, if you don't get a spanking, if you get time out, if you don't get time out, whatever happens if I take off your head, whatever. Just at least let me trust you, you know? Give me the the truth. Those who are Christ's, because you have not so learned Christ like this, those who are Christ then will be noted for giving what? Truth. When Jesus was come to, when the Pharisees come to Jesus, what did they say about Jesus? We know that you are true. We know that you're true. We know that you, you, you don't you don't shade judgment for you're not a discerner of persons. If it's true, you're gonna what? You're gonna speak it. Now, what do we know about that the truthfulness as well from the book of Ephesians here in chapter four earlier? Verse fifteen. Look back at verse fifteen. We didn't read it part of our reading. But when we speak the truth, it should be spoken how? In love. Okay? Now, I don't want to shirk that side of it, because to, there are, on the other side, people who delight in speaking truth all the time. But they're not speaking it how? In love. We'll come back to this when we get to the, the corporate side of this thing, okay, and how we treat one another. okay. But the fact is that we ought to be those who are characterized by speaking what? Truthfully. That our, our, our words, our speech reflects truthfulness. Secondly, continuing on here in Ephesians 4, Okay? Let me read, continue on, it says, verse 28, let him who stole steal no more, actually let me go up earlier, it says, be angry and do not sin, verse 26, do not sin, let not the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, you say, sounds like there's a laundry list of things. But look, the, over, the, t- the, the overarching thing here is talking about how we speak. What happens, I, sh- I should ask the wives, um, but I can ask the husbands as well, I'm sure it goes both ways. But what happens many times when we get angry? What's the first way anger is usually indicated to to the person next to them or near them? Say again. Talk Talk louder. It begins to what? Spew out of the 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 mouth. Okay, it's like the volcano. Okay Now, I understand we've got seismographs and everything that, that we can put on, and if you, if you want to, you know you could actually have all those different um, EKG or EEG or whatever all those little wires are on you, and we probably could d- d- discern when you're getting what irritated, okay, But most people don't have all those seismographs things all over them, okay, And so we're looking at the volcano without all the, uh, the, the geological things. makes sense, all the medical things on us. When do you know? When do you know something's going on with Mount St. Helens? When the smoke starts coming out, you know when when smoke starts coming out peaceful nostrils. You know, you start to think what they're overheating a little bit, yeah, or I'm in trouble. <laughs> I want I want to leave the area of Mount St. Helens. I think I want to go live on the East Coast. Okay, and and the reality is, so it starts to what? It starts to brew, and then eventually, if 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 it's not calmed down, what happens to Mount St. Helens? It erupts. And all that aki lava comes out and burns everything in its path. Yes? That's your mouth. That's the mouth. The mouth begins to steam. And like you said, Don, the, the temperature starts to raise a little bit in the voice. And all of a sudden we have an indicator that something's not right underneath. Something's not right in the heart of that mountain. And if it's not dealt with, usually within the mountain, it's going to what? It's going to pour forth the lava, and it's going to burn everything in its path. So I see this part be angry and what? Sin not talking about my My mouth. Now, I may be talking about my hand, and maybe some of you are reactionary in, 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 in physical, but most people, the first indicators of that anger being spewed forth is their mouth. Be angry and sin not. Le- neither let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to who? devil. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Isn't that out of the pit of hell? That's a lie. <laughs> that, that, goes, that does not go under that first point, does it? Names destroy. Words kill. That's why Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder, but I say unto you, if you call your brother racha, empty-headed, an idiot, foolish, you're a murderer. Because who you are is not what I see. Many of you never heard me ask this before, but I'll ask the question, how many of you can see me? If you can see me, put up your hand. You can't see me. See, both of them haven't heard me ask this question. They're putting up their hands. They're looking at everybody else, saying, "Okay, okay. I'm, I, I know I'm being used as a guinea pig. You can't see me. You see the tent that I, live in. but I live inside this tent. Now I'm, I'm kind of attached to it. I mean, if you if you punch my tent, I'll feel it. You know. But one day I'm going to what? I'm going to die. And this corruptible will put on what? Incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. You can't kill me." Isn't that awesome? I'm immortal. You can't kill me. Now, the best thing you can do for me is the worst thing you think you can do for me, and that is you think you can kill me. But all you've done is transition me to go through the the, the curtain so I can live with Christ forever. That's an awesome thing. You can't kill me. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be a thousand years old and my hair is going to be really white, whiter than it is now. I know you think it's impossible, but whiter than it is now, and that that I'm just going to be... I'm going to be living with Jesus. So you can't kill me. So who I am is on the inside. And so it does more to hit me with the knife of your mouth than it does with the knife, the blade of your of your knife, physical knife. Does that make sense? Be angry and sin not. Let not the sin go down your wrap. And he goes on, he says, Let note verse twenty nine, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, to build people up, that it may impart grace. To the hearer. So he's talking about using your mouth graciously, that it should reflect graciousness, right? Because the other side of it is what? Let all what? Bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you, right? And what are those things? Those are the parts that destroy. He says, Looky, use your mouth in order to what? Build people up, not to tear them down. I went and saw a a preacher years ago, I didn't necessarily say a godly preacher, I said a preacher, who I had heard of in the past, and he espouses a a certain doctrine that is a false gospel and um, unbiblical, Um, but he was at an independent Baptist church, a church which supposedly was a decent church, and I thought, wow, it's really interesting that they're going to have him. So i'd seen videos that he taught and i mean he's a guy who says if this this version of the bible is good enough for paul it's good enough for me and i think you know the bible was written in hebrew and written in greek and he picks a version of the bible and says if it's good enough for paul it's good enough for me and i'm thinking this guy can't be for real you know and that a church locally is is having him in so i and another guy went to see this guy was so caustic acid was dripping from his mouth The whole time, he's doing chalk art of a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. He's talking about the grace of God with no graciousness in his words at all. He's talking against... Now, understand, I'm not for homosexuality. It's abhorrent in the eyes of God. But God loves the sinner, even though he hates the sin. And the homosexual... Is no different than Bob in his sin. Sin is sin is sin. Do you understand that? So what I'm going to say is not. But he was all over sinners, not sin. Did you get the difference? And the that I would have walked out, but I wanted. I was there for a purpose, just to see if this guy was everything that I had seen on videos, and he was, and worse. It, this one couple got up to leave, in the midst of this venom just coming out. And he called them names. I mean, he called them out, and and nobody else is going to leave after that because they don't want to be, what, publicly ridiculed, right? And I thought, wow, this guy certainly was not reflecting anything of a new man. He can draw all the pictures he wants of Jesus hanging on the cross, but he just communicated to me with everything he spoke. Do you get it? Amazing. He didn't know why that couple left. The couple might have realized they had another appointment and he was running along. They might have re- thought they needed to go to the nursery and check on their daughter. I have no idea who the people were and I don't know why they left. But he certainly spewed out the, the additional... I mean, it was like the snake just kind of reaching out and snagging. Bitterness. Bitterness is unforgiven sin. Bitterness is when somebody has done something against you, whether real or imagined, it doesn't matter, and you haven't forgiven them. You haven't let it go. But rather it has come down and it has begun to take root in your heart and it has started to bring gangrene and and, and, uckiness so that you hate that person. And every time that person's name is mentioned, you what? You spew venom. That's bitterness. But bitterness, wrath, clamor. You know what clamor is? It's argumentativeness. It's arguing. It's 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 debating it. That's not building people up. But every time somebody says something, you want to what? Argue against it. That's not Christ-like. Now, I understand not everything is always right, and some things need to be debated. But if you are noted to be a person who never accepts anything, but you're always arguing about everything, then there's there's a problem here. Those who are Jesus should be reflecting graciousness. They should be seeking to use their mouth to impart grace to the hearers, that they may lift them up and build them up. I struggle with this. I'm being honest. I know as a preacher, I tend to preach more on the negatives than I do on the positives. You know? And I shouldn't ask you, when was the last time you remember me coming in and just preaching on praising God? And should, now hopefully, over the last couple of weeks, we did when we came through some of that returning of Christ stuff. But I know, I know that I tend to be more of a, uh, um, an exhorter than an encourager. Does that make sense? And I can excuse that, right? Because I'm what? I'm using biblical terms. I tend to be more of an exhorter than an encourager. But Bob has to know that about his mouth. And for years I've prayed over Proverbs chapter 10 and I've prayed over passages like this because I want God to use me as an edifier and an encourager. I understand there's a part for exhortation and rebuke. That's part of the 2 Timothy chapter 3 thing as well. But Jesus says, God says through Paul, that those who are his will be noted, will be reflected in their mouth as being gracious. They will seek to edify others and they will then seek to forgive others as well. And it says, forgiving one another, even as what? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus said in that model prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer sometimes, but it's really the model prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17 when he prayed for his disciples. Matthew chapter 6 is when the disciples said, teach us to pray. He said, well, pray like this. And he gave them a model of a prayer. But then people quote it all the time as the Lord's Prayer. But he says, he says, and forgive us as even as we what forgive those who have trespassed against us and then he goes on he doesn't touch anything else in that whole prayer but after he comes back to when he says because if you don't forgive others then neither will the father forgive you ooh that's pretty powerful I'm sure glad that Jesus wasn't talking to me. That must have been a, a kingdom thing. That must have been that inter between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you'd laugh, but there are people who believe that, that the teachings of Jesus don't apply to us because that's not part of the church age. The church didn't start until Acts chapter 2. And so all the teachings of Jesus don't apply to me. And I think, golly, I'm going to hurt myself by the time I'm done with this, right? Anyways, that it's God in the flesh. And if God in the flesh said it, it should what? I should listen. It should kind of stick. And Jesus says... That when I pray, I ought to be, when I ask God to forgive me, it ought to be a reminder to me that I need to be what? Forgiving somebody else. And if I have not forgiven somebody, then I better leave my gift at the altar, if you would, taking that passage into it. And I, may be, I'm, I, I better be seeking to make my heart right. So I challenge you. I ask you. I know we're talking about speech, but honestly, your speech is going to show what's in your heart. Is your speech not just truthful, but is it gracious about everything and about everyone? If it's not, then there's an indicator of dross that's in your heart that needs to be taken care of before the Lord. Thirdly, our speech should reflect righteousness. We're in the chapter 5 now. Therefore, be imitators of God, reflectors of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us, and given himself for us, and offering the sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints, neither what? Filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting proper, but rather the giving of thanks. You can say, well, no, he transitioned, but... he came right back to it as he transitioned to the fornication and the covetousness and all this stuff he brought it right back to what? your speech because if there's fornication and covetousness that's down in your heart where is it going to be first indicated at? in your mouth in all these dirty jokes in these questionable jokes are going to be noted I've had someone talk to me about movies that they like they like violent movies and they like lustful movies. I'll put it that way, sensual movies. And and they sought to defend it. And and I said, well, why do you like them? I, I don't know. I just like it. I said, well, let, let's go to the Word of God. You know, let I me mean, let's, let's just talk about the ten words of the covenant, the ten commandments. And we'll get rid of the first four that have to deal with God right off the bat. I mean, not that we have to get rid of them, but let's just, we'll, we'll slide past the God thing for a moment. And let's go into the final six to talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. But it really isn't indicator, loving your neighbor as an indicator of your relationship with who? With God. And number five is, what? Honor your father and your mother. So, I like watching movies where kids are rebellious and disobedient. Hmm. Is that consistent with someone who says that God is their Lord? I don't think so. What's number six? Thou shalt not Murder. Not just kill. I'm allowed to kill and eat. you know. And and I say that only, Don, because of the fact, I know you don't mean it that way, but many people like to put it that way and misunderstand what was it. Thou shalt not murder. Okay, It's all a matter of the intent. Okay, Thou shalt not murder. Well, I like watching movies with murder. Hmm. Now, maybe I'm stepping on some of your toes too. If I am, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not because I want to step on your toes. But we need to think about the things that we all put in our our, our, our minds because ultimately they're going to do what? Spew out of our mouths. And they're going, to, they're going to fester and they're going to take root in our hearts. Well, what's number seven? Thou shalt not commit adultery. What's adultery? That's sensualness outside of the marriage. The majority of the movies out there today deal with what? Rebellion against parents, murder, and promiscuity. If it doesn't have that in it, it ain't a good Hollywood movie. And we feed our brains with it. And we wonder why things spew out of our mouth that spew out of our mouth. Because all we're doing is teaching ourselves the ways of the world. We'll come back to that in a moment. Our speech should reflect righteousness. It should be absent, of course, jesting. Absent, of course, jesting. Again, I am honest, okay? I hope I am I'm I'm not as truthful as I, I should be. I like to hide things. I'm I'm and so I'm truthful in telling you that, but I'm not gonna be telling I'm not gonna be truthful about the things I'm hiding from you. Anyways, but I'm truthful in that knowing there's no temptations overtaking you but such is common to who? All men, right? And so I know that the reality is that if I'm struggling with things, you're struggling with things. So don't sit there and think you're the only person who's struggling with this. Everybody else is here. They're just not admitting it either, okay? And so when it comes to this coarse jesting stuff, okay? Now, it may not be a matter of dirty jokes, okay? God, God kind of extracted some of that from me a long time ago, okay? But I tend to be very, um, this kind of goes with the graciousness thing kind of, you know, that I, I, can, I can tend to be very witty with my tongue, Okay? That means that I, I, can, I can hear things that people say, and I can find the pas in it, and I, and I like to point that out. okay? Now, I, I just find that as, as fun word games kind of stuff. I like those kind of lexicon kind of games and, and that kind of stuff, played in word games. But the reality is that it's what? It's rude. And First Corinthians 13 tells me that love is not rude. And love does not boast itself. It's not prideful. And when I do things like that, I'm really bringing attention to who? To me, or I'm trying to, and that is that, ha ha, look at me, I can do this to you, you know, and, and, and really I just show myself to be the idiot that I am. Because it makes you feel really good, doesn't it, when I do it? I know, I've never done it to any of you, but anyways. But when it happens that you, you don't feel good about it, well, coarse jesting is kind of the same thing. I'd like to say, okay, I don't tell dirty jokes. But rough joking, Rough joking says that, um, and I'm going I'm to mess this up now, That I'm going to go quote this. My kids should know this because we memorized it. Um, he who says, and I was only joking, is like a madman shooting firebrands. Like a, like a madman shooting firebrands is a, is a man who what? Well, he, he does something, and deceives his neighbor, and then says, I was only joking. Okay? Anyways, you can go find it. Look up, you know, a firebrand and, and joking, and you'll find it in Proverbs. Anyways, somewhere in the good book it says something about that. Anyways, so, but anyways, but it's like a madman shooting firebrands. He's doing what? He's destroying things. But he's doing it as a what? A joke. It's rough joking, coarse jesting. And we've got to be careful that we are not those who are seeking To make fun at the expense of others. Does it make sense? It's abounding in thanksgiving. He said, instead of all these things, your mouth should be reflective, your speech should be reflective of what? Of giving thanks. Paul says to the Thessalonians that they should be giving thanks when? At all times. For what, Don? For all things. Yes. Yes and he says to the Philippians he says listen be anxious or careful for nothing but in all things with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God our mouths should be reflecting thanksgiving in everything we do because we know that our God is sovereign over all things and he has allowed only things into my life that is best for me or that he can use for me so Is my speech reflective of truthfulness, graciousness, righteousness? Finally, purposefulness. Purposefulness. Look at, continue on, where he says this. Verse 6, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, vain words, empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Wow. Let no one deceive you with vain words, for because of this the wrath of God is coming. Does anybody know what the word amusement means? Without the mind, without without thinking. It means no thinking. And we love to be what? Amused. The communists, and this is not to become a political speech, but the communists understood, and I've done a lot of research on communism this week because of this message, it just kind of flows together, okay? Um, and, and I looked up names of people. It was amazing to me that I never heard of Antonio Gramsci, um, uh, oh, Saul uh, Alinsky, um, uh, Lenin, I can't remember, Vladimir Lenin, and, uh, and Stalin, and all these guys. You know, and I was just r- kind of researching, and um, I think it was Antonio Gramsci who was an Italian guy who was in prison and wrote three thousand paper, three thousand pages on on communism, who's behind, it's amazing, I'm not into conspiracy theories, but you can go through and you can see the, the legacies where they come down, who studied for, under them and who became their, their students and that kind of stuff, it's really kind of interesting. Um, but anyways, Gramsci was back in the, in the 30s, in the early 1900s, and he said the failure of communism is because they're not getting into the institutions. And to bring the United States down, Lenin said that the strength of, the strength of the United States is threefold. Patriotism, morality, and spirituality. You bring those three pillars down, you bring down the United States. Gramsci said, we've failed to do that because we've failed to get into infiltrate the institutions. We need to infiltrate the 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 influential institutions and we will bring her down. Later it was refined even further as those things happened. If I can have Hollywood, was it Stalin? No, Marx. Marx said, if I can have Hollywood, I have America. Marx said that. And if I control the media, I control the educational system, and I control the entertainment industry, I will control the next generation. Now, isn't that interesting? Our mouths don't spew forth righteousness, and righteousness is that which is right according to the standards of God, not the standards of men. That changes all the time. But our mouths spew forth unrighteousness because we're filled with the trash of the world. Because we are empty-minded. We are amused, and we live in a culture of amusement where they don't want you to think. They just want you to be entertained. And I'm not picking on other churches. I don't mean this, okay? I know there are other churches who preach the Word of God, and they preach it well, and there are some who have been able to blend this, but in America today, the number one problem with the church is that we want to be entertained. I want to feel good. It's not about the Word. It's all about me. Do I feel good going there? It doesn't matter whether the Word is preached. I understand there's other places preaching the Word, and I'm not saying you've got to come here in order to be saved. But the question is, what are we as the primary reason to go to church. Many people go to church because of the music. The music is the number one today. The music is the number one determining factor for where you're going to go to church. Youth groups, or what they have for my family, is going to be number two. The word's important, but it's not the most important thing. And I struggle with that. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a what? Living sacrifice. That the things of my flesh are of no concern. But that you be not conformed to the world, but rather be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That you're not awe mused but that you're theomused. You're God-thinking. And that you have a God worldview. And so, I should have speech that is reflective of revealing a biblical worldview and rejecting a secular worldview. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Beginning of verse 6. As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. "...rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ." If you spend more time in the teachings of, the, of men than you do in the teachings of Christ, you will begin to be, look more like who? Men. The writer of Hebrews told the, the believers, he said, that as we see the day approaching, we should be seeking to f- fellowship and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together even so much more. Because it's when we get together that we're supposed to provoke, not a sweet term, provoke one another to love and good works. Because as the day of Christ approaches, he told us in Matthew 24 that evil was going to what? Abound. And the love of many was going to what? Wax cold. Now if I know that, if I know that there is going to be a battle for my soul, if there's going to be a battle for the way I think, and the battle over the souls and the spirits of my family, then what should I be seeking to do? Spend even more and more time in God's Word and more and more time with God's people. But what do I see happening more and more in in the quote unquote church? We're spending less and less time in the Word of God. We're reading devotionals and commentaries. They're the words of men, not the words of God. And I challenge you, listen, some of the Bobisms have, don't remember the Bobisms. I pray that you'll go back and look at what the Word of God says, and that you'll be meditating on Ephesians 4 through chapter 5, and asking yourself, how do I stand up against the Word of God? And that you'll be searching, and if I'm not telling you the truth, that you're going to come back here and you're going to say, looky guys, this guy is twisting the truth. Because Paul said to the church of Corinth, he says that, that, that Satan himself has ministers who transform themselves to look like ministers of what? righteousness whose end shall be according to their works the fruit they may be saying one thing but they're living another life therefore what don't follow them and i want you to check me out this is reverse psychology right i want you to check me out though seriously if i'm not teaching the truth i ought to be held accountable and you got to go someplace else But if it's the word of God, it's the word of Jesus Christ that we continually come back to. And if Jesus said so, and God said so through his apostles and prophets, then what should we do? Then we should respond. Be careful of listening to too much Rush Limbaugh. And too much of Neil Bortz. And too much of Sean Hannity. And too much of Michael Reagan. Now, I could be saying too much of NPR and too much of these other things as well, okay? You become disciples of Rush, Rushites. And that gags me with a spoon. I mean, nothing worse than being a Rushite is a abortian. okay? Because they're men who are not pointing you to God. They're pointing you to themselves in their own wisdom and their own philosophy. And honestly, through the years, I've been doing this now for almost 20 years, Men traveling in their cars spend more time with Rush than they do with Jesus. They spend more time with Neil and the venom that he pours out than they do with the one they call Lord. And Neil Bortz calls himself what? Guys, come on, you guys are listening, honest. What does he call himself? The High Priest of of what? The High Priest of the Painful Truth, according to who? according to him. And Rush Limbaugh calls himself what? I, I can't remember. I mean, I, I, he's, a, he's a bombastic. Anyways, um, but he's the gift from God. Okay? I mean, I know those are all tongue-in-cheek. That, that's all, what do you call it? Um, uh, entertainment drama type stuff. But it's blasphemy. That's exactly right. It's still blasphemy. And they still are seeking people to become disciples of what they teach. It's how they make money. Listen, put the Bible on. Listen to the Bible as you travel back and forth. Let Jesus teach you. Let God teach you. It's an amazing thing. It doesn't matter. Listen, I didn't know when Chernobyl melted down for a couple weeks. Later, the kids in my youth group had to tell me about it, but it didn't change me. It really didn't bother me. It didn't. I mean, I started when I found out. I started praying for the Russians over there, but it didn't really make any difference to me that that happened and I didn't know about it. It really isn't going to be a big deal if somebody that you don't like politically burps wrong and you didn't know it it won't transform your world but God's word will our speech should reflect purposefulness and when I say purposefulness I'm not talking about United States politics I'm talking about kingdom of God eternalness so James says So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. You're noting the themes that are here as we just went through those four things here. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Overflow coming out of your mouth and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer... He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself. He goes his way. Immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now all that sandwich between the swift to hear and slow to speak. In 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, dece- he, but he deceives his own heart, this one's religion is what? useless so who's the doer of the work the one who it's being revealed in through his mouth do you get it he's in the word he's studying it and where is it going to become first step of revelation the the first reflection reflection of Christ in your life is going to come out of where out of your mouth how well is Christ reflected in your speech when other people hear you do they see Jesus, whether they know it or not? Is that what they see? How does your, What does your speech reveal about who or what is reigning in your heart? Who's on the throne of your heart? And finally, what decision or commitment do you need to make to Jesus Christ as a result? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Your word is truly quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It does divide us asunder between soul and spirit and bone and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would have a a hunger and a passion a desire to look more like you and not like the world. Lord, transform each aspect of our lives. I know that you said that it will be our mouth that will be that first step of revealing the fruit that's in our hearts. So Lord, I pray that that fruit would be truthfulness, that it would be graciousness, that it would be righteousness, there would be purpose, and it would be purposefulness, that we would be able to be imparters of grace and not destroyers. To your glory, in Christ's name, amen.